are you? Hey, y'all, I got a handout. I've given it to several. Uh, but, uh, hey, Adam, will you uh, do this side? And then, hey, Freddie, will you do this side? Of uh, Raise your hand if you didn't get a handout. Uh, there's not a test. And... Uh, Y'all hear me breathing hard? That's uh, that's because I'm nervous as all get out. So, uh, y'all, this is my first time teaching the auditorium class. Uh, it would do me a world of good if you thought about moving down to these front uh, two sections here. I know that some of you are not going to get up and move because I've already talked to you, uh, but. You sure will get a lot more out of class. I really believe it if you would move to these front area right here. I see you moving and you're doing great. Be a leader, Davis. Be a leader. I'm just saying. All right. All right. Fall is my absolute favorite time of the year. Uh, probably for a lot of reasons. Um, when I was growing up, fall meant that we got to uh, quit working and go back to school. And uh, my sister's here, so she can vouch for some of this. My sister Lisa here, she can vouch for some of this. The, uh, the girls work just like the guys did uh, in the summertime. That's when we, uh, that's when we moved a lot of chickens from, uh, from the ground houses where they were on the ground floor to the the big high-rise houses where they have the cages. and So that's what we got to do all summer. And if we weren't doing that, our, our fingers were purple from shelling, butter be shelling peas and purple oil peas. And, and uh, so that was relaxing time when we got to do that. Uh, so I enjoyed fall because I got to go back to football practice and got to go back to, uh, to doing those things that I really enjoyed. I love football. And uh, so this book... Uh, Brother Aubrey Johnson, one of our brothers who used to preach at Peachtree City. Uh, I don't know where he is now, but he's, he's still preaching and actively writing. And so he wrote this book called uh, God's Game Plan, uh, based on John 10.10. 10. And uh, so every Sunday, we're going to do the, our memory verse. And if you don't learn anything else uh, from the class... We'll always do the memory verse. So we'll do that in just a little bit. But so fall. Fall, I think, is new beginnings. A lot of people saying it's, you know, it's the, the fall of the year. Things are starting to uh, dwindle down. But if you think about school starts back in the fall and, and the kids are rejuvenated to, uh, to begin their thing. And, uh, but, you know, it's summertime is, is a time of going on vacation and, and doing different things like that. Uh, I heard Ronald Reagan uh, tell a story. He said, uh, "He said, you know, people take their vacations in the in the summertime." And he said, uh, "This police officer uh, stopped this fella and uh, pulled him over to the side of the road, and and he stopped him for having no tail lights." And so, police officer goes up to the car and he says, uh, "Sir, did you realize that your uh, tail lights are out in your truck?" The man jumps out of the truck. He runs back there. He's frantic. He's like, oh, no, what are we going to do? 
And the man, and the man, uh, police officer said, sir, it's, it's not a big infraction. You know, I just left you off with a warning. He said, you don't understand. I had a trailer, four kids and a wife back here that I was pulling. So uh, he lost his trailer along the way. So it's, it's about your perspective, really, as uh, that he was, uh, it was a big deal to him. Uh, this, what we're going to talk about this quarter, is a big deal. Uh, let's do our memory verse, John 10, 10. Can y'all read that well? If you can't, you're going to say the same thing for 13 weeks. So. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. John 10, 10. Who said that? Jesus said that. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. What, is it, what does abundant mean? What does abundant mean? What do you say? A life, a lot, a lot, a bunch. What else? What else does abundant mean? It said plentiful, more than you need. A bunch. It, it is full, rich, generous, overflowing. Jesus said, I, might, I have come that you might have life and have it full and rich and overflowing and abundant. That's why Jesus came. That's why He said. He said, I came that you might have life and have a life that's full and rich and overflowing. Spiritual growth is the secret to an abundant life. You know, bear with me because I want this to work. <laughs> All right. Mike Singletary. Right. Mike Singletary, he was a linebacker for the Chicago Bears for many, many years. And uh, he made this quote. Do you know what my favorite part of the game is? And he said, it's the opportunity to play it. The opportunity to play this game of life. We have an opportunity to play in God's game of life. God, I don't know why God created me and you. But He created us for a purpose. It's, it's up to us to find what that purpose is. But we have an opportunity to be here. To be a part of... God's game of life. What do we teach the kids uh, in Kids Sing? Why was I created? Somebody said it. To glorify God. Absolutely. So, some a few things to uh, think about. Uh, no one ever won a game from the bleachers. No one ever won a game from the sideline. And no one ever won a game from his own end zone. So as we begin this study, I want you to, I want us all to really consider what it means to be a part of God's creation. In Psalm 139 and verse 14, the Bible says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
when you can't read your Bible, you print all your scriptures out and you blow them up so that you can read them. God created us for a purpose. It is our job to figure out what his purpose is for our life. Part of which is to glorify God is the, is the main theme. God wants us to live a full life. He wants us to live a life that's overflowing. And as we said, it is up to each one of us to determine if we will have that abundant life that Jesus is talking about in John 10.10. 10. Will you stand up and be counted? Or will you slink into the shadows of conformity? John 12 and verse, Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That word transform means the metamorphosis, like, like, a, like a, a caterpillar into a butterfly. Be transformed. That's what we're called to be, transformed as Christians, to be changed, to be more beautiful, to be better, to be more serving uh, in the Lord's kingdom than we ever have before. So the power of analogies. Um, throughout the Gospels, Jesus often taught his disciples and the crowds that followed him using analogies, using, we call them parables. Uh, Jesus used everyday examples to help people understand his gospel message. Uh, someone once said, I think it was Karen Kingsbury, she's a, uh, a, a Christian writer, uh, when Jesus wanted to teach a truth, he told you straight up. When he wanted to really make a point, he might have turned over some tables. But when he wanted to touch your heart, he told you a story. He told you a parable. He used everyday life examples, analogies to get his point across. Paul, in many of his letters, compared the Christian life to the analogy of athletic events. And that's what we're going to do uh, in these 13 weeks. 1 Corinthians 9, verse uh, 27, 24 through 27. And then again in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. It talks about running a race that is set before us. Uh, and, and Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, so the use of, our use of analogies, uh, in uh, sometimes our analogies are a little bit flawed uh, to a certain degree, uh, but I do love the analogy of a football game and a football uh, practice and things like that that Brother Aubrey uses in this lesson. Uh, football in the southeastern United States uh, which kind of got kicked off yesterday in full force, uh, is a very popular sport. I see a, a sweet lady right here that might love her favorite team. Uh, and and uh, we like to pull for those Auburn Tigers, don't we? <laughs> and so uh, we're going to have a little fun with this analogy, uh, but please don't miss the, the real truth of God's desire for us to have an abundant life. As we begin our study today, ask yourself, am I living an abundant life? And if not, what's holding me back from it? Some say the goal of football, American football, is to 
win championships? What are some of the other goals of American football? I think that's the big one. That's, that's the last one I put, but I think you're absolutely right. To make money, Jeremy said. What else? I think that's one of the higher goals is to build character. Uh, what else is the goal of football? Work as a team, discipline. These are awesome. I think y'all read the next slide. Sacrifice. All of these, all of those last ones are the higher purpose, the higher calling of football. Uh, to work as a team, to make sacrifices. All, all those uh, specific things. Some of the other things of the, of the not so great things necessarily about football. Uh, but we probably wouldn't watch it if our team wasn't uh, doing some of these things. Win championships, win the most games, score the most points, win awards, entertainment, and then absolutely to raise revenue. But the higher purpose of football, you've already said these things, is the teamwork and the hard work, the dedication and the preparation to teach you to work as, uh, as one unit endurance um, and resilience. I, I, don't, I don't know if we push young men and young women uh, hard enough as, as they're younger to, uh, to, to endure a hardship. Uh, I learned a lot of endurance when I was uh, playing football. Yes, Brother Jim? Leadership. That's that's a tremendous. That's right. Leadership is a tremendous example uh, that we learned. Some of the some of the younger guys in the ninth grade and the tenth grade, you know, they don't they don't perform as leaders. They just perform, and it's up to those eleventh and twelfth graders to to become leaders. And when we we might not have had the best team, but when we had good leadership in the eleventh and twelfth grade, our team did better because that leadership gets a team more motivated. This analogy absolutely goes straight into the church. If we don't have good leadership here at Dalreda through our elders and through our deacons, Dalreda is not going to be what it needs to be, what it can be. Uh, and then if we don't have the team aspect that we're going to get into as far as the congregation, then Dalreda will never be what it needs to be. Um, I contend, uh, so... Coach Daniels, he was one of my high school, he was my high school football coach. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about him uh, as, we, as we go into the lesson. Uh, coach uh, didn't teach us just about football. He taught us young boys so much more. He taught us about the game of life, about sacrifice, about selflessness, about courage, and about determination. So this study is not about football. Uh, I love football just as much as the other person. Uh, I played football in high school under Coach Glenn Daniel. Uh, Coach still holds the still holds the record. Uh, he was the most winningest football coach in the state of Alabama. Uh, when when I was in the eleventh grade, uh, we gave him we gave him that victory that put him over the top to be uh, the winningest football coach in the state of Alabama. Uh, Coach. Daniel, he started his career playing basketball at Kentucky. 
Uh, he was he played under the legendary uh, Adolph Rupp. Uh, so he, Rupp Arena, Kentucky's basketball, is named after uh, Adolph Rupp. And uh, Coach played under him. He was a great player, basketball player. He was a multi-sport athlete. He played football and baseball, and and uh, so he was he was an amazing person to me. Uh, in my junior year of high school, Coach became the winningest uh, football coach in the state of Alabama. He coached for 38 years at Luverne. Uh, coach died last year at the age of 95. Coach never allowed one of his teams to go unprepared. Uh, he was an amazing preparer of young men for for both the football game and for the game of life. But better than all his accolades, and, and he would have said this, I believe, Coach was a faithful Christian man. He worshiped with us at, at Luverne Church of Christ where I grew up. In my opinion, he was one of the best Bible teachers uh, that I've ever known. Uh, he, he just had a way of, of talking through the lesson and asking the right question at the right time to, to get you engaged into the lesson. And, and, and to, he did the same thing in high school. He taught history in high school. Uh, he taught the Bible at Luverne for over 50 years. But Coach got it when it comes to the balance of his career football and the balance of the church and spiritual things. Uh, he studied his Bible uh, absolutely. Otherwise, he couldn't have taught. He couldn't have taught like that and taught consistently uh, almost every Sunday for for those many many years. So I love football, but this lesson is not about football. What is the high calling of God? What do you think God has in mind? when we take our place on the field of life? Does He care how we're doing? Does He want us to succeed? Does it hurt Him when we're not fulfilling and realizing the abundant life that He's prepared for us? Think about those things as we, as we go into these lessons. Here's some questions that we're going to answer as we as we go into this study. What really matters in life? Does God have a purpose for me? Can I know God's purpose for my life? Have you ever have you ever asked yourself these questions? Is success about wealth, fame or pleasure? Is it possible to know how I'm doing? In Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I think you'll know this verse certainly. Uh, you probably already know it. Um, Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now this was said to a specific people at a specific time. But does that have bearing on our lives today? Does God know the plans He has for us as His sons and daughters, as Christians, as the church? Does He have a plan for the church? And again, ask yourself, am I moving forward or am I slipping back? So what is the secret to have an abundant life? Abundant life is growing spiritually. 
every day, every week, every year, we make progress. Uh, spiritual growth is the secret to abundant life. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ. If I'm crucified with Christ, what happened to me? If I'm crucified, what is crucifixion? If I'm crucified with Christ, what happened to me? I died. I died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I have to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In Ephesians 4 and 13, the Bible says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. Mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. And in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17, it says, Now now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed. There's that word again, transformed, metamorphosis, like the butterfly. Being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, in Christ, the freedom, there's freedom. And there's transformation. The Bible is God's game plan for spiritual growth. In 2 Timothy 3 verses, let's look at 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's Word equips us. God's Word is literally breathed out by God into us. Uh, When we read this Bible, we're reading... God's Word, and those are, are, are being transforming us into what we can become. In 2 Peter uh, 1, verses 3 through 8, we could, we could do an entire uh, series of lessons on, on these scriptures. Um, let's start here. We'll, we'll start. Uh, it says, verses 3 through his divine power has granted to us all that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is of this world, uh, 
that is in this world because of its sinful desire. So, for this reason, for what he just talked about there, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, steadfastness, and with steadfastness, godliness, and with godliness, brotherly affection, and with brotherly affection, love. Here's the kicker verse right here to me. For if these qualities are yours, and they are increasing. So if these qualities are in you, not just that they're in you, but they're in you and increasing, then what? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you want to be a good Christian, if you want to be a person who is fulfilling the John 10, 10 life, the Bible says, if these qualities are in you, then you're not going to be ineffective. If these qualities are increasing in you, you're going to be what you need to be and what you want to be. In Matthew 7, verse 24 and 25, the Bible talks of the wise man. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who's built his house on a rock. And when the rains came and the floods came, when what came? The trials of this life. The hard times of this life. When those things come and blew and beat on the house, it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. So let's do a little bit of comparison. Uh, to use our analogy, uh, let's, let's look at it a little bit. Uh, the handout uh, kind of explains this a little bit. And so we'll look at the end zone. We'll look at the goal lines. We'll look at the yard markers. We'll look at the down markers, the territories, the football, our opponent, the coach, the team, and the fans. So look at your little handout there. Um, I was I, I was frugal and I didn't use color, uh, but it's you can still uh, kind of make things out a bit. Uh, the end zones. So when we come out of the end zone, that's when we're saved. We're saved through grace, and we enter into the joys of heaven when our life is over through grace as well. So the end zones are marked with grace. We're saved from our past sins and enjoy the fruits of heaven. And so the gold line, sorry, so the end zone, sorry. I got a little ahead of myself. So the, so the end zones are saved from our past sins and the joys of heaven. That's both end zones. So the gold lines are markers. Uh, markers in our lives. Two of the most important uh, markers in our lives when we become a Christian, the most important marker, and then the time of our death. Uh, where are we at the time of our death? And both of those, uh, we, as we said, are marked by grace. So we have the yard markers, and they help just as, as in football. You want to know your progress along the field? It takes 10 yards to get a first down. And so as we go through this analogy, 
We need to know how we're doing. How are we doing in our life? We have yard markers to help us. The downs, uh, think of this as, as uh, you have four downs in a series, uh, but the downs are simply just our choices that we make in our daily life. We make a series of choices from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep every day. And we can make good or bad choices or just choices that we, we don't even seem uh, uh, really mean anything. Uh, territories. The near end in that, in that uh, sheet there is for increasing self-mastery. Uh, so, and then the far end is as you grow in spiritual maturity. And so the football, what does the football represent? The football is your relationship with God. It's stitched together with faith, hope, and love. Every down, you must hold on to these three things, faith, hope, and love, and move forward in the game of life. And who is our opponent? The devil. And he is a vigorous opponent. So our opponent is Satan. And he's trying to get the football. And if we lose our grip, we fumble, then what do we have to do? We have to go on defense and regain control. Uh, but we don't stop fighting. We, we fight more when we're on defense until we regain control and go back on offense. Our coach... Our coach is the best coach that we could ever have. God challenges us to be our best. And our team is our church family. And then we have fans. So we'll cover the fans here in just a little bit. So here's, here's the handout again uh, in, in the pretty form. So, figurative analogies certainly have their limits because we know that life is, is so much more than a game. Life's not a game. We call it the game of life just for the analogy, but, but life's not a game. It's, it's, it's for real. Um, and God is so much more than a coach. Uh, just for the sake of this analogy, we call him our coach, but God is, is holy and to be revered and to be respected uh, in our daily lives uh, every step of the way. Never forget during this analogy that God is a holy God that needs to be and must be respected. Christianity is not a spectator sport. So there's, there's never been a fan that's won a game. Uh, there's, you know, fans do some crazy things. They, uh, some people wear, their, wear a specific pair of socks uh, when every game starts. Uh, if y'all remember how Doug used to, uh, to dress when he went to an Alabama football game, he had these white, gray, and black camouflage pants, and he wore... Uh, some Alabama football jersey of, of some player, and uh, he had a set of hair headphones, 
And that's how he went to every single game. If you saw Doug, that's the, how he was dressed. And, uh, and, and he, was a, he was a rabid fan. Um, but there, there, are some, there are some fans that, that, that I mean, they're going to do specific rituals because they think they can change the outcome of the game, but they can't. One of my favorite poems is The Man in the Arena. It says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither knew victory nor defeat. The man in the arena, that's us. That's our daily struggle. It's, uh, there's a, well, I won't point that out. There's, uh, there have been many songs that, that have the same uh, sentiment uh, that, that we, we've heard throughout, throughout our life. But it's the man who strives, who actually does something, who makes himself, uh, who puts himself out there in the arena, uh, the arena of life that gets the reward in the end. It's not the person who sits on the sideline and points out all the things that could have been done differently or better, but never made the effort themselves to actually get into the fight. When you become a Christian, you enter the arena of faith. And that's when our struggle really begins. In Genesis 4 and verse 7, the Bible says, If you do well, you, will you not be accepted? This is God talking to Cain. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin's desire is to chew us up and spit us out. But we must, as the Bible says, we must rule over it. Don't allow sin to pull you away from your relationship with God. Satan is not going to give up even though he's already lost. The saying that misery loves company, Satan wants to bring as many people down as many of God's people down with him when he is shut up for eternity. And he is going to do everything in his power to do this. But in all of Satan's power, there is one that is far greater and far mightier that we have living within us. 
and we can overcome Satan. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, the Bible says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith in God, our faith in Jesus, His Son, our faith in the Holy Spirit, uh, through the Word of God to give us the instruction that we need for this life. And more importantly, to attain the life that is to come. The fact is, you're going to get sick. People you love will die. We're going to be subject to accidents, job losses, natural disasters, and eventually we're going to die. This has become more evident to me in the, in the last year than you know anything that I've ever dealt with in my life. Um, a brother-in-law that died in October that we were very close to. He was like a father to me. Uh, then a brother uh, one month later that died and, and, you know, we don't know why. We, we deal with those things. We deal with that kind of adversity in our lives. On a, there's not a one in here that hadn't been touched by something tragic. Um, and then I had the, the little health scare of, of the cancer and, and, and uh, but Lord willing, that's all behind me. But it certainly opened up my eyes to a different way of looking at things. And if that doesn't change, if that doesn't change you to do something different, so I know I sat there and, and prayed before I went into surgery. And so I made a deal. <laughs> I made a deal with God that if you get me through this, then I'm going to be different. And I, I can say that I hadn't, I hadn't achieved that fully. But I'm trying. And I'm trying every day to be better and to be different because... That's what I told God I was going to be. And we have an opportunity right now. We don't have to be faced with these things. But knowing that we are going to face some of those things, what are we going to do? Before that day comes, our heart's going to be broken more times than we can say. We're going to be disappointed in our, in our kids and our family and our jobs, all kinds of disappointments that are going to come in our life, different adversities. Um, but God's made a promise to us. Let's read together uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or swords? As it is written, for your sake 
We are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ but ourself. Ourself wasn't mentioned in that. Y'all, there is nothing in this outside world that can separate us from the love of Christ. But you know, even, even when we fail, the love is still there. He wants us. He begs us to come back to the fold. The abundant life is not the easy life. It's not an affluent life. And it's surely not a trouble-free life. But the abundant life is a life filled with honor and courage and love and usefulness. Do you want to be useful in life? A life filled with usefulness. In the face of hardship and heartache, we can still be useful. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Not being ashamed to wear the name Christian, to hold that name in honor, to have courage to wear that name when it's hard, and to love those who don't love us when we wear that name. And then to have a useful life. Jesus never promised a trouble-free life. As we have read many times before in Job 14.1. A man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Acts 14.22. Strengthening the souls of the... Acts 14 verse 22. Strengthen the souls of the disciples. Encourage them to continue in the faith. And saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. It's almost like it's promised to us. There's going to be hardships. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, An abundant life is a faithful, functional and fruitful, and a fulfilling life. We learn by example in the Old Testament that when God's people were faithful, God blessed them. When they were unfaithful, then they were filled with dysfunction and dissatisfaction, and they were just totally messed up people. We read that throughout the entire Israel account. Functional living is a balanced life. 
both physical for clean living, mental. Faith rids our lives of pointless worry, needless fear, useless thinking. And we also have emotional blessings. A strong faith is the remedy for deep despair. Just to sum it all up. Abundant living is not an impossible dream. For faithful Christians, it's an everyday reality. Abundant living, it's just simply a life that honors God. As you grow, He's going to be glorified. When we're blessed, then He's magnified. And your life will be a testimony of God's goodness. Let's think about these things as we go into this study for this quarter and how we're going to change if we need to change. How we're going to be better if we're already on the right course and doing good. What is the abundant life going to mean for us? Uh, we're going to do several different aspects of this as we get into it. We're going to study aspects of, of giving and prayer and all the different lists that you see there on your sheet there. So I look forward to being together. Uh, I, I love it when you move down more close so we can have a, a more intimate uh, setting. Uh, so maybe you'll do that next time. And uh, But thank you for those who did. And we'll see you next week.